I wouldn't even know that I had been in the hospital. I would just wake up in my bed so hungover. And I started to recognize that it really wasn't serving me. And so that was when my journey into, okay, what is sobriety really began. Welcome to the Let's Start Health podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Haynes. We live in a noisy world, and this space is intended to bring you clarity, enrich your bank of wellness knowledge, and inspire you to kickstart your journey to healing body, mind, and soul. I'll be interviewing industry professionals and bringing you raw, real, and personal stories of healing through gut health, intuitive eating, and the power of the abundance mindset. Thank you so much for tuning in and getting curious. Your journey to healing starts now. Hello, you incredible and intuitive being. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Let's Start Health. I am your host, Chelsea Haynes. I am currently recording this intro in a potentially very echoey hotel room off of I-95 as I road trip to South Florida. And I must say that I am so excited to get grounded on the other side. I have been traveling nonstop for the past few weeks, and I am really excited to almost be at a finish line. I plan on doing a whole episode sharing a bit about my traveling experiences over the last few years and how I create healthy boundaries to balance work and personal life amongst it all. But for now, I will say simply that A, it has been incredible, and B, I am so excited to share that this winter I will be in one place for six whole months. Y'all, I never thought I would get to this point. This wanderlust host of yours really, really loves to travel. And if you've been following me for the last few years, you know that being in one place for six months is very atypical from the last four years traveling and working on private super yachts. Not to mention that I will actually be on land and in one non-floating bed. So I am just so excited and thank you for letting me share my excitement with you and celebrating it together. So... Without further ado, I am ecstatic to share today's guest with you. Susie Shefflin is not only a yoga teacher, a sound bath facilitator, and sobriety coach, she is genuinely a sweet person with an aura of easeful connectivity and pure love. <laughs> Susie and I dive deep into her spiral to addiction with prescription medication and the darkest moment of her life that, ironically, ended up being the exact wake-up call that she needed to turn her life around. What I really loved most about this conversation is that her story is not unique, and yet so many of us overlook the pressure and stress that each one of us experience in our adolescent and early adulthood. I know I can very much relate to the pressure that we put as a society on ourselves and each other in order to be quote-unquote successful. And it is this exact mindset that has led so many people down a really dark path. It really brings me to a call of action to remind myself and everyone else around, including you, my amazing listeners, to not place people into the boxes that we might assume them to be in. Regardless of our upbringing or our background, Please reach out to that person if you intuitively feel like they might need help. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed facilitating it. And please, by all means, if you feel that this episode provides any type of value, please take a screenshot or copy and share the episode link to your social media and your tribe. And if you feel called, please leave us a review, and a rating on iTunes so we can continue to create ripples of inspiration for anybody on this journey to health. Again, thank you so much, and please enjoy the episode. So grateful to 
to have you here today, Ms. Susie Shefflin. I am so excited to dive in with you today to share your story with our listeners. I know it's going to be an amazing one. So I would love just to hand the mic right over to you and ask if you would please introduce yourself and what you do. <laughs> so first of all, thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, so excited to chat with you. My name is Susie Shefflin and I am a sound healer and a Reiki master. I also teach yoga and I'm a sobriety coach. I love that, a sobriety coach. I've never heard that term before and I really, really resonate with it. <laughs> <laughs> so of course we are here today because you are on a journey of sobriety and I love how vulnerable you have been with your followers and your community, your online community, and of course your community in person. And I'd love just to take a step forward here. And if you wouldn't mind just giving our listeners here today, maybe a little bit of an overview um, of what it was like to spiral into addiction. Mm. Wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, it was a journey, you know, and for me, it was a slow journey with a lot of denial and resistance. Um, I think looking back, like, oh, is this okay? You know, and also feeling this sense of relief and having the opportunity to put something in my system that made me feel different. It changed my consciousness. Um, then, yeah, once I started drinking, it was really around the time that I was like 15 years old and late middle school, early high school. Um, and my drinking was never normal. I always drank to the point of blacking out. So it was like I would be with friends and everyone, you know, would be high school kids having beers or drinks before a school dance. And I couldn't just have one. It was like alcohol, gave me this um, key to feel at ease and to feel comfortable in my skin. And yet it was also like, once this switch was flipped, I couldn't stop. You know, it was like, I just wanted to <laughs> pedal to the metal, mm. um, sort of to check out. And so that's really what my drinking um, looked like. It was sort of a way of coping with anxiety and an opportunity for me to really let go of control mm. and it served me except for when it didn't you know um there was definitely consequences and over the years drinking and then moving into different drugs and then prescription medications um you know it actually i would say heightened my anxiety because in addition to having the anxiety that i'd already been experiencing from a young age i then had this sense of real shame around my behavior and I started to lose touch with who I really was and what my values were and what I stood for and what I wanted. And so it became this cycle of, you know, turning to things outside myself, um, alcohol, prescription medications, and really marijuana um, to make myself feel better, mm. except for that it didn't make me feel better. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so in my, uh, in my 20s, that was when things started to get, my early 20s, things started to get pretty bad um, once I started to really mix prescription medications that I was prescribed, by the way, um, for the most part, into the story, I started waking up in the hospital. You know, I would pass out in a taxi or in a bar or wherever else. I don't even know. Sometimes I would just get a bill. <laughs> I wouldn't even know that I had been in the hospital. I would just wake up in my bed so hungover. And I started to recognize that it really wasn't serving me. And so that was when my journey into, okay, what is sobriety really began. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that story. And I think it's a lot more common than we like to admit or think. And I, I liked to ask for a moment, bringing awareness to that sort of slippery slope, right? Where you had this taste of relief, right? This first sense of oh, okay, I've just changed my consciousness, right? You're late, middle, maybe early high school, you know, in high school kind of experiencing maybe that normal curious tendency to want to try alcohol. And you mentioned sense, this sense of relief, right? This deep sense of relief. And then taking a step forward, was there a big shift or change when, when were you prescribed medication? Had you moved? What brought you then into the doctor's office to say, right, I think I need a little bit more help 
you know, I realize I'm, I'm doing some things that aren't really helping me. Like what made you decide to go to the doctor's office and say, I need help? Well, I don't really actually think I was looking for help. I think I was looking for an even deeper step into my addiction. Mm. Um, so it was when I moved, moved to New York City for the first time. Um, after graduating from college, I moved to New York City. I was living in Gramercy and I was attending culinary school. And a friend of mine was prescribed um, clonopin for her anxiety. Um, and I took some of hers. Mm. And I felt a sense of relief without um, the blackout that was coming with my drinking. And I could take it during the day and it made me feel better. And so I started taking hers and then I said, you know, I can't keep taking hers and then sometimes stealing hers. And then, you know, Mm. I wanted my own supply. So at that point I went to the doctor and I was asked to be prescribed that at which point the doctor um, said, you know, maybe, maybe you should also look at Prozac and maybe you should also look at antabuse because clearly you're drinking, you know, you can't really drink on these medications. I also went to the doctor asking for Adderall. That was another one that I had not been prescribed for years. I took it for the first time in college and it gave me energy. You know, when I was coming off of that hangover, I needed to study. Um, It gave me this real high. And so I went to the doctor and I asked for Adderall to bring me up and Clonopin to bring me down and balance me out. And then he also prescribed me some Prozac to just round it all out. And it was this wonderful, horrible cocktail that took me down. Mm. And I find that that's such a common path for many, many people, right? So I'd love to offer right now, if these medications are a journey for you, if you're listening to this right now and those medications are helping you, then bless that medicine. And, you know, this is a journey, a story of moving beyond the addiction, right? So just kind of disclaiming that if you're on a journey of medication and you're listening to this right now thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that medicine is really helpful for me, there's no judgment here. It's just an opportunity to get curious about the habits behind it, right? So it seems like you said you weren't looking for help at this time. You were looking actually for maybe more escape. And that's exactly what you got, right? Absolutely. And no judgment to people who are using medication because sometimes Mm. you do need, you do need that to get to where you need to be, you know? And I can see how taking these medications in fact did get me to where I needed to be, you know, just a different way. Exactly. um, I did not go to the doctor saying, I'm anxious. I can't focus. I went to the doctor. Well, I guess I did say that, but (laughs) I went to the doctor knowing what I wanted, knowing what to say to get it. Um, with the, I mean, I don't know if I could have admitted it to myself at the time, but being honest now with the full intention of abusing these medications. Mm, Yeah. The intention is really so important. So let's back it up a little bit. And I'd love to talk about the addictive personality that you said that you have always experienced, right? So I have seen a pattern where the addiction has a tendency to be or could be a response to some type of trauma or a band-aid for underlying undigested emotions. So do you feel like your life's traumas maybe or lack of coping skills around them played a role in your addiction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I have to say that, you know, I have not experienced trauma with a capital T. I'm Mm -hmm really, really fortunate that I've had a wonderful life in that sense. That being said, on this planet, we all go through traumas, you know, life is a trauma Mm -hmm. um, in so many ways. And I've done a lot of work recently, actually, I did EMDR therapy this summer, which helped me to identify my first trauma, which was actually my sister being born. Mm. Um, And that I was able to, through that therapy, go back to being two years old and my mom having this baby and me having a sense of, you know, I'm the oldest child. So for the first two years of my life, I had all this love Mm -hmm. had all my parents love. And then my sister was born and it felt like the love was taken away. Mm -hmm. It felt like I wasn't getting what I needed. Um, It felt like I was separate and I was alone and that I had to figure things out for myself and that I had to try to get the love and attention that I needed as this two-year-old baby. Mm. 
Yeah. I love that. I'll just interject there if you don't mind. I love what you said. You know, I love how you disclaimed. And also, I think it is so important to bring to light here that just like what you said, we all experience trauma in this life. And I think when we go down the compare and despair spiral of, well, I haven't experienced traumas that would be categorized in certain ways, that means my emotions are invalid, right? So I think so many of us who look back on our lives and think, well, you know, maybe my first trauma was when I was four years old and that really loud balloon popped and it scared the crap out of me. Right. And that led to deeply rooted anxiety around loud noises. And then that led into my social anxiety that led me down a road of addiction. Right. Mm -hmm. We start thinking to ourselves, oh, but I wasn't X, Y, or Z, some other very, you know, a different categorized trauma. And then we start to invalidate our own emotions. Right. We start to think, well, well, that didn't happen to me. So why am I, am I unable to cope? You know, that doesn't seem to make sense. So you know, just Mm -hmm. offering out there that trauma is trauma is trauma is trauma. And it doesn't matter where on the spectrum you are, because there are three basic needs. And and I've said this as, you know, if you've listened to the series, the Sober October series on this podcast, I think this has come up almost every single conversation. And our basic needs of human beings is to be safe, to be loved and to be accepted. And if one of those things are threatened, we go into survival mode. And in your case, you said the, you, you felt like the love was taken from you. And then on top of that, you were separate and you felt alone. So now as this two-year-old baby, your, your basic needs of acceptance and love were gone. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. And thank you so much for reflecting that by the way, because I mean, there for so much of my life and for so much of my healing journey, I asked myself like, what happened? Like, what's wrong with me? Is there something that I don't remember? Like something must have happened as if there had to have been this capital T trauma in my life to validate the experience that I've had. Mm. Um, So it's been really healing to be able to say, you know what, it didn't have to be a capital T. It could be as simple as just this life thing that as a baby, as a young child, I felt it and I carried that in my body and it it did affect the way that I experienced the world. and so, yeah, so I, was, I realized that that was my first trauma, which led me to feel separate and apart from and like I needed to try. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom went on to have three more babies. So wow. I, have three sisters <laughs> who I love and adore and I'm so close with and I'm so grateful to have them. So no resentment for my mom. For <laughs> but um, <laughs> definitely as the oldest, you know, it, it, it made me have this awareness of like, mm-hmm how things had been versus how things were then. And so that in addition to the fact that I am super empathetic, I feel things so deeply. Um, I think from around the time that I was six or seven, I just felt this sense of wanting to fit in, needing to try to get love, needing to try to get attention and just being uncomfortable in my skin. Like I had to sort of put on a show or act a certain way in order to get the love and attention that I needed. And let me tell you, it's exhausting. Mm. Um, And as an empath as well, like to be in that state and then to also feel everything around me so deeply and be like, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong when like nothing's actually wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I had the most wonderful, truly wonderful upbringing and nothing was wrong, but I felt like everything was wrong, Mm -hmm. like all the time. Yeah, it brings a really important conversation right to the surface. And that's the difference between an empowered empath and then a child who doesn't even know what that means and is really taking on the emotions of so many people. And I think, you know, I think the word empath and empowered empath could potentially be, I guess, what you would consider like a buzzword or. I love that. Yeah. But it is so important. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, like I feel deeply for other people. I, you know, I bring it into myself. There's nothing wrong with that. And there are tools and ways and, and practices, even just Mm -hmm. understanding, even just self-reflection that you can then transition to become what I like to call an empowered empath, where you can use this superpower as a tool. But I can imagine as a child where you're just confused. And now I can imagine, I can very much relate, by the way, because I am also 
the eldest. Mm -hmm. I only have one younger brother, but you know, there's this sense of responsibility, right? As the oldest child to have to do it right and to take care of all the people. And, and, you know, without realizing it, we sort of take on the burdens of the family, right? And then we're struggling yeah. for that attention. And especially if there's also this sense of like, at least in my case, if you don't mind me sharing this sort of like A-type personality go-getter, right? I too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I can really resonate with that. Like I have to prove to other people that I'm worth loving and I need this outside validation from my straight A's and from my baccalaureates and from the captain of the sports team, right? This is fast forwarding a little bit into high school, <laughs> right? It's all these actions that we feel like we constantly have to do to gain our role in our lives. So I mean, and for me personally, that eventually led to an autoimmune disease. So, you know, I can, I can really resonate with a lot of this. So taking another step forward with me, do you feel like when you started numbing out, right? In high school, it was this sense of relief. And then maybe a little later in life, in college, in New York City, it's this go, go, go. We have to perform. Do you feel mm -hmm. like there might have also been this sense of numbing out, of course, we were numbing out the, the lower vibrational emotions and feelings, right? And I like, I prefer low vibe and high vibe versus good and bad, right? Because no emotion yeah. is good or bad. It's just no. lower resonance or higher resonance. Were you also numbing the higher vibe feelings? And was that a conscious choice or did it just happen because of the medication? And what was your experience that with, and when, where do you think that came from? I would say, yeah, definitely. I think I was numbing all the feelings, the, the low vibrational feelings and the high vibrational feelings, because after, after a while, you know, you just become desensitized. Mm. And I think a big part of it, like, was just that I wasn't able to distinguish what was mine and what wasn't mine. Mm. And so it was easier not to feel any of it. That being said, I've always been a very cheerful, very sunshiny person. But there have definitely been times in my life where that was a mask. Mm. Um, and so the authentic true me was maybe struggling and suffering inside. But the go-getter A type in me or type A in me was like, put on a smile, show up, perform, keep going, look happy, be the way that you need to be in order to get the love, validation, and attention that will serve you. Mm -hmm. I always laugh. It's like, be the extrovert, be the extrovert. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And only just now at 33 years old, I'm like, damn it. I am an introvert and I'm so <laughs> happy. I finally realized that. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. And it's totally okay to be an introvert. It's so important mm -hmm. to honor your needs. And what I've learned now is that there's pretty much nothing more important than energy hygiene, you know, making mm -hmm. sure that your energy is grounded and balanced and clean and clear so that you can be an empowered empath. Because I think all of us are empaths to some extent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We all have that ability, you know, and when I say ability, I mean, it's, it's, we're all conscious human beings, but we are all subconscious energies, right? All of us. It's, yeah. it's no, you cannot ignore when somebody walks into the room you can feel their energy 100%. So I love that term energy hygiene. And we're going to um, move forward in a little while talk, talking more about that and how to keep up this energy hygiene. But before we get there, I, I'd love to ask, you know, this, this feeling of lack, right, or this feeling of worth, worthiness, right? It's, it's quite obvious that in order to feel the sense of worthiness, and I, I'm going to categorize us as together here because I so resonate with this. I hope you don't <laughs> mind. But like, really, no. it was it was to feel that sense of worthiness was through this outside validation, right? So mm -hmm. I'm curious in your particular sense that do you feel like you didn't feel worthy ever? And this is, you might have never thought about this before. It's kind of coming to me now. Do you ever felt like you didn't feel worthy of high vibe feelings? Because, you know, that peppy-go-lucky you might have been a mask. Do you think somewhere there was a, an element of, well, I don't deserve to truly be happy? Whew. Um, I don't think it was necessarily that I felt I didn't deserve to truly be happy. Um, I think everybody deserves to truly be happy. 
you know, I really think that that's our birthright. But I think that what I felt was more a sense of being a burden and maybe being unworthy of love, being unworthy of time, unworthy of having my needs met in order to have the things that would lead me to feel fulfilled and genuinely be happy. Yeah, I think a lot of people can probably relate to that, right? This sense of being a burden. (laughs) Yeah. So I listened to your interview on another podcast, uh, the Motherfucking Legend podcast, or How to Be uh, an MF Legend, (laughs) right? Which I just love. And you mentioned that you had a turnaround moment. You had essentially your lowest low. Would you mind sharing with us here a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so my drinking and using in New York City um, went on through most of my 20s and I struggled with it for a while. Um, I had the awareness that, you know, it was really alcohol that I was able to identify wasn't serving me at first. And so for a couple of years, I would say about five years, I was really struggling with trying to stop drinking um, and I just couldn't make it stick, you know, and I was in this cycle of trying to stop drinking, but not being able to do it and not being able to really exist without these outside substances to, to help me. Um, but what they were doing was bringing me into a darker and darker place because you know, we have feelings and I was having so many feelings and, and, and I had been in a relationship for a long time that wasn't working. And I had been in a career that in many ways I did enjoy, but I also felt like it wasn't in alignment with my spirit. And I had just lost touch with who I really was. And I was getting darker and darker, um, and still putting on that smiley face, but inside really just feeling broken and wanting so badly to change, but not knowing how. And the first step that I took was ending that relationship that I'd been in for 11 years. And when I ended that relationship, so many feelings came up, you know, that had been a real sense of security for me. He had been my best friend, he had been my partner, but it wasn't a healthy relationship for me. And so I ended that and there was about three months where I was living in New York City alone in the apartment that I'd shared with him. And I just, didn't want to face reality. And night after night, I was just getting drunk to the point of blacking out and um, really just not in a good place. My parents were worried. They were reaching out and they were like, are you ready to get help? And I'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I couldn't even acknowledge to myself that I needed help and that, you know, there was even a possibility that things could be different because I just wanted to do it my way. But I I was just, it was so tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it took me to one night where I had gone to um, bottomless brunch and then I had friends, I had my best friend actually from college was in town visiting and we went to a concert and I just kept drinking and kept drinking and something happened and I became very upset. I became very distraught. And when I came home that night, I locked myself in the bathroom. And I just remember thinking, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on. And I didn't want to live. And I had that point, so many prescription medications. And I sat in my bathtub and I had them all around me. And that's really all I remember. But I miraculously woke up the next morning in my bed and My mom and my sister came into the city because I had texted them, um, reaching out for help, thank God. And something inside me had shifted. Mm -hmm. That morning, I really think that a part of me did die. And from that point forward, I was ready to surrender. I was ready to let go and I was ready to start looking within and looking for the light instead of, you know, or I guess tapping into the light that was it, that the light within me that could illuminate the darkness, you know, rather than trying to suppress the darkness and look away from it. I was ready to say, okay, I can be with all of me and take whatever steps are necessary to do some real healing. Mm. So I called my job and I said, you guys know that I'm not really someone who should be drinking. And you guys know that I have been drinking. Um, I need to get help. 
And so I took time off of work and I immediately from that point went out to Connecticut from New York City and um, stayed with my family for about a week as I prepared to go to inpatient rehab. And from that point forward, started making different decisions and really being in this place of surrender. And I opened myself up to a new way of life. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I'm sure reliving that moment is not super easy. So thank you for choosing to be so vulnerable. And it's definitely met with a lot of empathy. Um, I'd love to ask, what do you think it was? You mentioned this element of surrender. What do you think it was that you surrendered to or maybe what you finally chose to let go of? I think I surrendered to a possibility that was beyond what I could imagine. Hmm. Um, What I can see is that what really led me to that moment was this need to control, this need to suppress, this need to try to figure everything out. And everything that came up, you know, it was like, I would have this inner voice that would say like, you need to change. Like you need to let go of drinking. You need to let go of using drugs. You need to let go of this relationship. You need to start eating better. You need to start exercising. But all the stories would come up like, but (laughs) I have to go to work or I have to go to this event or you know, I'll start working out next week or I'll eat healthy after I have this glorious bagel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And just, first of all, the habits that were so deeply ingrained in my life, um, just the way of being that I had grown into over the years um, that wasn't serving me, but I didn't know how to break free of them, you know? And I thought that, you know, I had to have all my ducks in a row in order to make the changes that I needed to make. When in reality, all I needed to do was just let go, stop trying and make the change. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? The self-sabotage that comes up and how good we are at making excuses. And I love what you said about, you felt like you needed to have all your ducks in a row in order to make a change. (laughs) but then it's like wait a minute but if I had my ducks in a row maybe I wouldn't need to make a change so maybe I just need to start implementing change (laughs) exactly just one step at a time it's like I remember I used to think to myself like well I'll go to yoga when I have like a good yoga body yeah you know (laughs) like what oh yeah or I'll you know I'll go yeah, exactly. But it, it, like, it comes up for me so often. It's like, well, when this date happens or when this date happens or it ends up being this kind of sacrificial, like I'll let this go for this amount of time. But then I'm like holding myself back from all of life's like happiness. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> yeah. It's the idea of like, I'll, I'll relax when I'm on vacation. I'll be happy when I'm on vacation. It's like, why do you have to be on vacation to relax or be happy? Why, why can't you find a way of being happy in your daily life? You know, it's hundred yeah. percent possible. Yeah. And that's the struggle I think for so many people. And I think what so many of us can relate to is that, you know, I have to control this thing. I have to figure this all out. I have to keep doing right. Like I need more actions, more actions, more actions. And, you know, I often say to my clients who are kind of in that energy of doing, 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 controlling, figuring it out. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be and and more, right? So we can go out and enjoy our friends and have a good time and stay sober, right? It doesn't have to be either or. (laughs) Absolutely. If that's what we desire, right? If that's what we desire. So yeah, I think giving ourselves permission to do less, you know, it's that movie, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, right? And he's learning how to surf. Do less, do less, do less. <laughs> and, and then he just ends up laying there. He's like, well, no, you have to do something, right? <laughs> like there has to be one foot in front of the other, but in a really authentic, genuine kind of way. So I'd love to take another step forward here and transition into talking about your time of transitioning into complete uh, sobriety. And what I've learned through listening to some of your other interviews out there is that it was a process. Could you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It was a process. And what I can see now is that, you know, relapse um, happens sometimes in recovery. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's normal to feel shame around that, I guess, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, 
what I see is that I had to go through every experience I had to go through in order to get to where I am today. Mm. Um, and so I really am grateful for all of it. But um, I went to inpatient treatment where I got off of um, Clonopin and Adderall and Prozac and stopped drinking alcohol. And when I came out of rehab, um, like the next day I went and I met up with my friends from rehab and we smoked pot. And for me, I was like, well, pot wasn't really my issue. You know, um, I could always sort of take it or leave it. My real problem was blacking out and saying horrible things and doing horrible things. And so I was like, well, why not? You know, and so I got out of rehab and pretty much, yeah, the day, the day, the next day I, I did smoke weed. Um, and so for the first year that I didn't drink alcohol, there was probably I would say five or six times that with friends I either smoked weed or I ate like an edible um and I told myself that was okay and at that point in my sobriety that's what my sobriety was Mm. you know I was seeing a therapist I was being drug tested I was doing actually I was seeing two therapists one was a music therapist one was an addiction um, focused therapist I was doing support groups but I didn't have a sober community And the friends that I was spending time with who I absolutely love and adore and who I'm still friends with to this day were people who don't identify as alcoholics or addicts and don't necessarily have problems um, or feel bad around, you know, taking part in using drugs and alcohol. And so when I would hang out with them, Mm -hmm. that was part of what they did and what we had always done. And so I was like, okay, I'll smoke a little pot. I ended up moving to LA and when I moved here, I thought to myself, um, I might as well build my life in a sober way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so once I moved to LA, I got involved in 12 step programs. Um, and the friends that I started to make here, whether they were through 12 step or otherwise, just by making friends through, you know, yoga and other wellness based events that I attend tend to be sober. And so somehow miraculously um (laughs) it didn't feel right for me to smoke weed anymore it just wasn't a part of my life it wasn't something that I was as interested in which even though ironically it's legal here in California Mm. and what I can see is that over that year of not drinking but you know smoking a few times I implemented other healthy behaviors into my life I started eating better I started taking better care of myself um I started to get in touch with my emotions and recognize, you know, what was mine, what wasn't mine in terms of, you know, being an empathetic person and getting a sense of energy. And I started to feel better. I had gained a lot of weight um, towards the end of my addiction. And I started to just really almost effortlessly shed that weight. And I would say physically and emotionally shed the weight for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt lighter in all ways. And I started to get more in touch with myself and to recognize like what felt good and what didn't. And let me tell you, I remember the last time that I smoked weed, I was really in this awareness that like, it didn't feel good for me to be out of my body in that way. Like being high like that wasn't something that I wanted anymore. Um, And so it became more of a choice of choosing what feels good for me rather than like, I can't do that. And that's what my sobriety really looks like now. I love that. And I love how you mentioned at one point that everyone's sobriety is different and it's been a journey for you. And I just, I love the thread of compassionately leaning into what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And, you know, that, that could work for some people. It could not work for other people, but I think allowing it to be a journey with community, with support, with healthy behaviors, with the tools set in place is a really great permission slip. Because again, I think a lot of it it is a journey. The journey to healing is a journey. (laughs) And sometimes that shame and guilt that starts to creep in, if it's not super black and white, is ways heavier than just allowing ourselves to be on the journey itself. So thank you so much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to ask, and this kind of came to mind, you're, fair, you're very open about your journey with alopecia, and you mentioned shifting um, your healthy habits, your 
releasing of this physical and emotional weight, do you think that your journey with alopecia might have added to any of these insecurities or anxieties? And, and how might that have played a role in your life? And what does that look like now? Oh, definitely. Um, and I think it's sort of, I mean, the alopecia has been so, it's been such a big part of my journey and I've only become open about it really quite recently in the past year. Mm. Um, and that includes me being able to look at it like from the beginning and say, wow, how has this played a role in my journey? Um, you know, alopecia is autoimmune related. Um, and it also can be triggered by stress and anxiety. And my experience with alopecia began when I was around eight years old, which is when I can remember really starting to feel very uncomfortable in my skin and being in this place of needing to like control. And it was never really, it was never really something that I had to face because always be like a little bald spot here, a little bald spot there. So it was something that gave me a lot of self-awareness because I didn't want people to notice this bald spot. Um, like for much of my journey, I would say the first like 15 years of my journey with alopecia, um, it was something that I could hide and I was hiding it. Like I would at points when it did get to be like, there was a, a bigger bald spot, I would wear a ponytail or I would just cover it up with hairspray. And then in my twenties, it started to get worse and worse. And I think what I can see is that alopecia was really guiding me to my authentic self, mm -hmm. to let myself be seen for exactly who I am. Just like drinking alcohol sort of gave me permission to let go of control and to stop trying and to stop wearing this mask, alopecia was in many ways doing the same. Um, it was saying like, Susie, you're beautiful no matter what. You are enough no matter what. You don't have to try to control things. You don't have to wear a mask. I, for most of my life, had blonde hair, like really bright blonde hair. And all my sisters have blonde hair too. And our family is sort of like known as like the four blonde shuffling girls. Mm. And so it was a really big part of my identity. And I definitely felt a lot of anxiety and shame around like, who am I if I don't have hair? Who am I if I'm not this blonde girl, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Um. And now I have decided to shave my hair. Um, the alopecia got more and more severe in the past few years. I decided to stop Western treatments. I used to get cortisone injections every month for like 12 years. I would get probably hundreds of shots into my scalp. And as I um, embarked on this more holistic journey of healing and began to see that, you know, all dis-ease is really, I believe, in our life as a teacher, um, I sort of said, okay, let me, let me open myself to receive the message of this, of this um, condition that I'm experiencing, because by suppressing it and by getting shots in my head, you know, the hair would grow back, but it was like whack-a-ball, it would like grow into the spot, but then it would fall out over there, so I'd always be chasing it with different injections every month. And so once I stopped getting the shots, almost all my hair fell out, I would say probably like 70%. And for a long time, again, I was hiding it. And then I said, you know, what, what if I decide to own this? And so I started wearing a wig and I started being open about wearing a wig. And then eventually I said, what if I just shave the rest of it off? Like, why do I even need to wear a wig? And I still do sometimes wear a wig. It's sometimes fun. You know, I can choose mm -hmm. <laughs> to have long blonde hair or <laughs> short blonde hair or pink hair or blue hair. But um, it was sort of like, again, Susie, like, what are you hiding? Like, what are you putting on a show for? What are you trying to control? What if I can just show up and be fully me and be in my wholeness, be in my darkness, be in my light, and let myself be seen. And just as a little girl, when I was younger, like there was no shortage of love. Like the love was always there. My needs were always met. It was in my head that I wasn't, or it was not in my head, but it was, it was, I felt that um, sense of separation, but it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily true. You know, everything was okay and I am okay. And today now that I've shaved my head and chosen to let myself be fully seen, I can see that nothing's wrong. Mm -hmm. I feel 
so much more love for myself and I feel so much love from everyone that I need and everyone that I know in a deeper way than I've ever felt in my life. Mm. Um, and it feels so good to not have to, you know, constantly be trying, constantly be, you know, putting on that mask, mm. um, trying to figure it out and just letting myself be exactly who I am. Amen. I love it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I know there are so many people and part of the journey for me as well is psoriasis. And even, you know, you're just talking about mm. patches and hiding them. Like I can just relate to so much of this. And I know that so many of my listeners as well and autoimmune disease and, and symptoms and conditions, it's, it's just, it's an epidemic, right? And that's a whole nother conversation for another time. But this feeling of needing to hide, mm -hmm. I can really relate to and cover up and be something other than what it is that we really are. And I love your relentlessness in just choosing to go down maybe the, dis the uncomfortable path, but on the other side, knowing that there's freedom in owning it, knowing that there's freedom in being seen, right? There's nothing better when we can just see and be seen, right? Like, what was that other? I'm not even a big movie buff. This is the second movie I've quoted in this, but <laughs> Avatar, right? They, they say, I see you. Yeah. I see oh, you. I love that movie. I know. Yeah. And it's, I see you. I see you. It's like, oh, that the eye emoji, you know, I see you. And it's so much oh. more than just... I know I it like brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> so I really hear this shift in you from this sort of victim scarcity mindset of there's not enough love that you really felt, right? This sense of separation, this mindset of I need to cover up, I need to hide into this shift of, you know, everything I've been through has led me to where I am. These things have not happened to me. They've happened for me. And you and I very much share this belief. And this is, for me, the root of the abundance mindset. And I think, you know, I could go on and on for a whole hour just talking about this. And, you know, a lot of it is about taking accountability and self-reflection and responsibility for how we've played a role in our lives. But where do you think that this shift came from? And when did it happen? Uh, I think that it happened through gratitude mm. honestly when I was in inpatient treatment at the end of every day we would sit in a circle and we would go around and share the things that we were grateful for that day mm. and I was raised to be very polite I was raised to be very thankful but I don't think before that really forced experience <laughs> of sharing gratitude I had a sense of what gratitude really meant um and after I got out of treatment, one of the things that I did was I continued to do a gratitude journal every day. And I continue to do that now. Um, I text five things that I'm grateful for every day to a few people in my life. And what the gratitude practice allowed me to see was that nothing in my life had ever happened to me. It was all happening for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I am surrounded by so much love and so many blessings in every way, shape and form. You know what I mean? Sometimes the gratitude is like, I'm grateful for a cupcake. Mm -hmm. you know? Sometimes the gratitude is for like, I'm grateful for all of the incredible opportunities um, and abundance in my life. Sometimes the gratitude is for a challenging conversation that I had with a friend that felt uncomfortable in the moment, but provided me with awareness. Mm. And so to have that reflection and to be able to say like, you know, sometimes in life, oftentimes in life, my mind doesn't like the way things are. My mind says things should be different. But if I can find a way to shift into gratitude and trust that everything is as it's meant to be and things are working out as they're meant to and feel the gratitude for every moment, you know, it just opens up this whole new way of being where I'm not a victim. Mm. You know, I... I have this, I get, to, I get to live this, I get to live life, mm -hmm. you know, I get to live this precious human life and experience the challenges and experience the joys and trust that they're all leading me to my highest purpose. If I just let go and allow it to be. Mm -hmm. 
I cannot resonate more with all of what you said. And a couple key things, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, like here we go again with the gratitude practice. <laughs> because, you know, if you're in the trenches, right, if you are in the experience of grief or broken heart or loss or, you know, whatever you may be going through, pain or sickness, it can be very challenging to jump right up to gratitude, right? Because mm -hmm. gratitude is, is very high vibrational. So if you're really feeling low, a way to maybe put one foot in front of the other is to just ask for help and to talk to somebody about this. Because, you know, like what I say to my clients is, you know, I'm, I'm getting in the trenches with you and we're not going to get out of here until you're ready to climb out and we're going to do it together. Right. So yeah. finding somebody to share, just like you said, it was like that forced gratitude practice <laughs> can be really awkward and annoying, but then really, really freeing and starting as super simple of, you know, every time I get on the phone with someone, I say, all right, so what are we celebrating today? And people are like, I don't know, Chelsea, mm -hmm. like, I don't know <laughs> what I'm celebrating right now. It's been a rough patch. Like, okay, how about let's celebrate or feel grateful for the cell phone that we're talking on right now or mm -hmm. the fact that you've carved out time for yourself to talk to me or the limbs on your body that helped get you out of bed this morning and brush your teeth without thinking about it right so really like you said bringing it back to that I'm grateful for this cupcake right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The little things and then implementing a little bit of self-compassion along the way for the journey that you're on, I think is so important. And just one other little thing that you brought up that I want to bring awareness to is those narratives in our minds that say that things should be different. Mm. Mm. This is definitely one of the biggest blocks to that trust because we can't feel abundant if we don't trust, if we don't deeply trust ourselves, if we don't trust our intuition, if we don't trust divine timing, then there is going to be a block. And usually if we're feeling like, well, this should be different, or I should do this, I should go to the gym, like all these narratives in our minds that are keeping us away from the present moment and how things actually are, are creating mm -hmm. more blocks. So yeah, I, I like to switch that word up with I desire. <laughs> so yeah. if I'm saying to myself, well, I should be going to the gym or I shouldn't be eating this cupcake, I say, you know what? I desire to feel more energy. So I'm going to choose something that's going to support that. What does that look like? It feels more I empowering, right? <laughs> I love that. It's true. There's nothing worse than a should. Yeah. Yeah. Because once we go down that spiral, our mind is really good at doing what it's doing, right? We, our minds play the games that they want to, that it wants to play. And we're really good at it. We're really good at it. Our subconscious mind knows how to keep us comfortable and safe. That's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> and thank God for it. But then we find ourselves down these negative mindset loops and habits that are no longer serving us. So that process of letting go, the process of shedding is uncomfortable, but yeah. You, that's, that's how we get to live this life, right? Mm. Oh, I just love it all. So <laughs> Susie, for the functioning addict who's listening to this, who's hustling, who's doing all the things, right? And from the outside, looking like they've got their shit all together, right? Essentially, maybe that you, that hurt younger version of you living in New York City, going to school, doing all the things, but knowing on the inside that there's something that needs to change, what might you say to that version of yourself? Mm. Well, I would say it's going to be okay. Mm. It's going to be okay. And to reach out for help, you know, your feelings are valid, your experience, if you feel that inner voice telling you that you need to change, you desire to change, know that it's possible. And that things are going to work out better than you can even imagine. And you don't have to figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. I would say, reach out to someone who can shine that flashlight for you to help you get out of that place of darkness. And there's no need to feel shame about being in that place of darkness because we've all been there. I've been there. Mm -hmm. And it's possible to reconnect with the light. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if I can ever 
support you, reach out to me. I love to hear from people. I do sobriety coaching. Um, I understand how scary it can be to get out of that place and to say, you know, I need help. Really those three words, I need help. Mm. But there's so much power in those words and there's so much power in surrender and you'll get through it. I love that. I love that. There's so much power in surrender, right? It seems from the outside in that it could be an oxymoron, but it couldn't be more true. So would you mind shedding light a little bit on your experience with the Freedom Institute? I know, um, I think that you mentioned that the Freedom Institute really was a a key in, in your community of to sobriety, right? The community of people. And for anyone listening, the Freedom Institute is an independent nonprofit nonprofit recovery center helping to heal individuals and families for a very long time, right? Since the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a really great resource for people. And um, I just would love to hear just quickly your experience there. I had an incredible experience with the Freedom Institute. I went there for many, many years, um, pretty much from the beginning of my journey trying to get sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really held a safe space for me to explore and to feel supported and not judged. Um, I went to one-on-one therapy there. I did intensive outpatient therapy there. I did support groups there. Um, They helped me to find a rehab, an inpatient rehab facility to go to. And then once I got out of rehab, I went to Freedom Institute multiple times per week. Um, And then, you know, as needed um, over my journey, and I still check back in with them from time to time, they offer scholarships. So there were points in my career where I was early in my career and I wasn't able to afford individual therapy at the, at the rate that is typically offered, you know, therapy can be expensive Mm. as a young working girl and as a student. um, So they offer scholarships. I was also through the Freedom Institute gifted a scholarship um, to have a certification in TM, Transcendental Meditation. Mm. And that was such a game changer. You know, I love that the Freedom Institute has such an incredible um, mindfulness component in their program. And through that certification in Transcendental Meditation, I began a daily meditation practice that changed my life. It was through that meditating twice a day for 20 minutes a day with that technique that I was really able to connect with myself and start to distinguish, you know, like we were talking about um, being an empowered empath, like what's mine, what's not Mm -hmm. to transcend the busyness of my mind and tap into my true self. And I don't know if I would have done that training or even be, I definitely wouldn't be where I am a teacher, a meditation teacher myself now, if I hadn't have been gifted that incredible Um, experience through the Freedom Institute. So they offer so many great resources. And even if you're not in New York City, you can reach out to them and they can help to point you in the right direction. If you are struggling and don't know where to begin, I would definitely recommend reaching out to the Freedom Institute. Amazing. Thank you for that. I'm glad that you said that. I was going to ask if they were specifically only in New York or how that could work. So hop online and I'll, I'll pop their website in the show notes as well if you are needing a little guidance there. So Let's then step right in for the last few minutes we have together. Why sound baths? You know, your offerings are amazing. You teach meditation now. Let's talk about what you're doing now, what you're offering, and what is a sound bath? (laughs) Oh, so a sound bath is pretty much one of the most relaxing things that you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no water involved. You're not bathed in anything other than the healing vibrations of sound. Um, In a sound bath, you lie down, you relax, and you really just let yourself be. You open yourself to receive. My sound baths are crystal alchemy sound baths. So I play crystal bowls that are infused with other crystals and gemstones and earth elements that bring different energies into the experience. And I love working with sound in meditation because, as you might have picked up on from the past hour of listening, (laughs) I have a very busy mind, a very busy mind. There's a lot of thoughts going through my head. It's a challenge for me to quiet my mind. And although I will say that we're always going to have thoughts in meditation, it's totally normal to have thoughts. A sound bath for me really helps to quiet the mind and slow down those thoughts. The sound frequencies are especially tuned to help to do just that. I work with specific ones um, called binaural beats that really help to balance the hemispheres of the brain and bring you into 
relaxed brainwave state where you can achieve deeper states of meditation without really having to try or have a lot of experience. So I find sound baths to be very accessible to anyone, even the most anxious person. And that's how I got into it. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety when I moved to California. You know, I was on very early in my journey of sobriety and getting off of prescription medications. And at that point, um, very new to all of it and new to feeling and moving across the country. And I was having panic attacks. And my aunt who lives out here brought me to a sound bath. And that first experience felt to me like coming home. Mm -hmm. It felt like for the first time I was just still and I could just be and everything was okay. I love that. And so, yeah. So my intention today with leading sound baths is to hold that space for other people to experience the same, to feel safe being with themselves, being with all of themselves. And to know that, you know, in life thoughts may come up, feelings may come up, but they will pass. And these um, very healing sounds help you to feel safe in that. I love, 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 love a sound bath. It's one of my favorite experiences. I, I too, <laughs> if you can't, like you said, already tell, have a very busy mind. So meditating to binaural beats is by far one of the most accessible ways for me as well. So I think this is, especially in the age that we live where we are constantly stimulated all the time, um, mm -hmm. sound frequencies, I mean, and, and we know that sound frequencies are powerful. You know, you play music in a room with a bowl of sand and the sand is going to make shapes. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's, it's a thing. So imagine what's that, what that is doing inside your body. It's, it's one of the, it's, I love it. I love it so much. That's just my little like testimony there. <laughs> <laughs> and you're about to ex uh, explore some travels coming up, right? Yeah. I'm very excited to be traveling a bit more. Um, next week I'm heading to Venice, Italy. I'm going to be leading some sound baths there. And then from there, I'll be going to Bali, where I will be for a couple of weeks. And I'm actually leading a retreat there with my sister. Um, and then I'll be back in LA and then probably up in Northern California and then on the East Coast. And who knows where else? Probably um, India next year. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Costa Rica. <laughs> it's been so fun to be able to expand and start to share this on a more international level mm -hmm. because here in LA it's like the mecca of all things health and wellness but um nothing feels better to me than you know when I'm in a room with 60 people and I ask if anyone's ever experienced a sound bath before and everyone's stressed and anxious and everyone raises their hand and then at the end everyone's like melty and mm -hmm. so relaxed it just floats <laughs> out and they're like wow oh my gosh <laughs> It's a little chunk of peace amongst this chaotic world. So Susie, where can our listeners find and follow you? You can find me on Instagram as the copper vessel. You can also um, find out more information and access um, some free virtual sound baths on my website, which is www.thecoppervessel.com. If you go to the virtual page, it will take you to my YouTube channel. Um, I also have a series of seven sound baths for um, healing, for self-healing with Aloe Moves. And if you go on Aloe Moves and use the code Susie, my name, S-U-S-Y, you can get two weeks free access. That's my gift to you guys. Um, and then there's free ones on my YouTube and on my website, there's also a list of all my events and you can reach out to me through there. You can send me a message through Instagram. I do my best to respond to messages as quickly as I can. And I love hearing from people and connecting on there. It's such an incredible platform. And I just, I'm so grateful to be connected with so many people around the world. And when people reach out for support with healing addiction or to connect over alopecia, it just, it, it nothing's better than that. So please reach out if you're in a place where you're going through a dark period, um, know that you're not alone. And I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. And we'll be sure to link all of these in the show notes, of course. So Susie, I'm just so, so, so grateful for your time, your vulnerability, and I'd love to round it out with asking one last question. What does the term optimal health mean to you? Optimal health to me means empowered health, you know? So it's not necessarily 
being without challenges, being without dis-ease. It's experiencing all of you from a place of empowerment, recognizing that, you know, our challenges are our greatest teachers. And when we can be in that place of empowerment and be in that place of acceptance and self-love and open ourselves to receive the messages that um, these things that come up in our life are here to teach us, that's when we experience health. That's when we experience a sense of wholesome well-being. Mm, no, I love optimal. that. Yeah, it's it's loving all of yourself. That's optimal health. <laughs> Amen. Empowered health. I love that. Right, and it's not it's not living without dis-ease, but it's that acceptance, that self-love, that receiving, and that experiencing all of you. Thank you so much, Susie. I'm so appreciative of you. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure chatting. Ciao. I wanted to take a quick moment to give you, my community of listeners, some genuine appreciation. I know how valuable and precious our time is in today's world of productivity, and I couldn't be more grateful for yours today. If you feel that this episode was of value to you, I would be even more grateful if you were to share it with your people. Go ahead and copy and paste that link into messages, or if you're feeling really creative, pop a screenshot of the episode into your Instagram stories and send it on over to that person in your life who might need this boost of inspiration today. Don't forget to tag the podcast handle Let's Start Health and my personal account, The Yogi Yachty, so we can have all the fun connecting, building community, and sharing all the things. Thank you again, and remember, be curious and unwavering on this journey to health.